travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Welcome to Talk Travel Asia, episode 76, Traveling Light and Responsible. Travel, as we say in our intro, is one of life's great pleasures. But with visiting other countries comes waste we generate and impact as guests. As more and more people have the means to travel, the stress on communities is growing. If destinations are to remain pristine, beautiful, and worth visiting, travelers and those working in tourism are going to have to make some adjustments to preserve the places we love. On this episode, we'll chat about the practical travel issues and ways you as a traveler can reduce your footprint and impact. From Bangkok, Thailand, this is Scott Coates, and with me, as always, is my trusty co-host... How's it going, eh? Trevor Ranges here in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. I like your sliding of the Canadian A, as I am from Canada, I do appreciate that, Trevor. So you're in Phnom Penh, yeah? Yeah, and uh, you know I'm going up to Angkor next week, so for those people listening who have been to the Angkor temples, um, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, we, we, we recently were talking about doing an episode on over-tourism, but uh, responsible tourism, I think, is also an important aspect of travel in, in Cambodia, but Southeast Asia, anywhere, in fact, I mean, you know, as travelers, I think we have a responsibility um, to, to try and minimize our impact, both culturally and uh, physically. Yeah, and I know, I mean, I'm socially conscious and environmentally conscious, but I think you more so than I. And what kind of got me thinking about this episode is that I've been traveling the last few years is the increase in sheer numbers of people, right? As travel prices drop, visa restrictions ease, the middle class grows. The numbers have skyrocketed. The difference between visiting Kyoto in 2010 and 2016 for me was unbelievable. One time, the earlier time, it was like lots of room. The next time, it was like walking through a packed nightclub. I mean, nowadays, some if you go to the temples of Angkor at certain times, it's packed. And then you think about not only the numbers, but the stress it can put on places, especially in the developing world around water, sewage, food waste, things like that. I mean, it, it's, it's really worth thinking as a traveler how you can minimize your impact in small little ways, because those are incremental when multiplied by many travelers. Yes, sir. Seriously, I mean, uh, a lot of the things that we're going to talk about here today and the things that we will talk about on the over-tourism issue is just that, uh, you know, it's the cumulative impact of every one of our uh, actions, you know, whether it's walking on the temples or taking five or ten minute showers, you know, like when you have millions and millions of people doing the same thing, um, it makes a, a greater impact. So we actually have to try and be more conscious and, and make more of an effort to, to tread lightly, not just to try and, you know, hey, I normally don't use a lot of plastic products, let's say, but when you're traveling, you might want to actually take an extra step or try and learn about the particular conditions in the place that you're visiting to try and minimize your impact there. Yeah, a good analogy um, in my mind for this whole episode is that, you know, when I've led treks in remote um, mountain communities, say in northern Thailand, you inevitably 
outside of a village kind of see where they've tossed all the garbage off the side of the hill, right? And mm. people will always kind of look at it and go, oh, that's that's really bad. That's really a shame. And you also flip it around. You're like, well, if you don't have the garbage service coming every couple days to pick up your garbage and go bury it in the ground, like this is a reality of plastic. So a lot of places in Asia, especially we travel, don't have the services that we're maybe used to in the West. So it is, like you said, very, very important to tread even lighter than you would at home. Mm, absolutely. Okay, so we've got a bunch of categories here, and we are not experts, by the way. These are just things that we've noticed traveling. Some of them, uh, I know that one of them will get into straws you're really passionate about, but they're all worth considering. And the first category is uh, water. What do you what do you think about water, Trevor? Well, I mean, there's lots of facets here. And again, we were talking about like uh, taking shorter showers, right, uh, and, and the water tables of certain areas. But uh, I'm looking here at an Aquasana water bottle that I bought last time I was home that has a built-in mm-hmm. water filter so you can drink hmm. uh, tap water wherever you go um, and, and this thing's great I remember my friend Josh uh, he showed me this little UV kind of light pen that you could just, like just stir the water stir around in the water I've seen those yeah, yeah. Um, but having a refillable canteen especially one that has a purifier um, is definitely going to reduce uh, the amount of plastic waste you use. Because again, maybe when you're home, you don't drink a lot of bottled water. But then when you're here in Asia, um, suppose you're in your hotel room and, and you don't want to drink the plastic water bottles, but you're not sure that it's safe for you to drink the tap water. Lots of times you're going to end up uh, using plastic that you might not have necessarily used if you didn't prepare beforehand. Yeah, I mean, what we're getting at here is avoid the number of single-use plastic bottles you use. And, uh, you know, I even do this sometimes. Like, I have a a 750-mil Camelback bottle. I'll sometimes take it on trips and refill it while I can. Places like Cambodia, where you are now, I know in Siem Reap have, you know, a program where a lot of hotels and sites will have a refill station. Often, you know, if, if you think to ask your hotel on the way out the door, hey, can you fill this for me? Or even when you're at a restaurant. And, I mean, this isn't perfect, but what I've done more than a few times is even, you know, buy a plastic bottle of water and then I keep using it, right? I keep filling that bottle up if I don't have my my Camelback with me or even buying a big like five liter Mm. bottle of water, put it in my room and then Mm. keep refilling my small one. So, I mean, you know, sometimes you can be less wasteful than others, but I think if you make those conscious little steps, you can reduce by quite a number the bottles you would use in a single trip. Yeah, and before we move on, since I'm here in Cambodia, I'm going up to Siem Reap next week. I want to give a mm. shout out to the Refill Not Landfill, who have yeah, over one. Guys. They have over a hundred free water refill stations in Siem Reap. Really? So, yeah, that's pretty awesome. And just sorry, a last one on the water bottle. A lot of people do this, but when I fly, like I take a bottle of water to the airport, I drink it before going through security, I fill it up at the fountain when I get through sure. security and repeat process, right? Like then I don't even need to take a bottle of water on the plane if they give you one and so forth. Mm. Yeah, Hmm. Um, a little trickier. Next one. Yeah, a little trickier than than the water bottles is the straws, you know? And straws are a tougher challenge, especially here in Asia. They like to give everybody a straw because originally, you know, straws are used for, they're more sanitary to drink out of like a can of uh, soda or something that you don't know how clean the edge of it is. Um, right. If you bring your own, like I, I use Pyrex glass straws, but I also have bamboo straws. Um, you also have to need to remember to tell wait staff that you don't want to have one. Um, but mm. I noticed like today I was on a, 
a boat, like a luxury cruise for lunch. And, uh, they, of course you were. Yeah, and, and they have bamboo straws, which is great. And then I spent a bunch of time in Bali recently and Bali is a destination that has lots of paper straws as well. Um, and then in Thailand, uh, you know, we threw a party and we had the bamboo sisters supply bamboo straws for us. So I think, uh, buy a straw before you go, um, and bring it with you just because again, like you're going to go through a lot of straws every day, no matter where you are. And they're going to end up uh, in the oceans more likely than not here. Yeah. That's, this is one you've kind of turned me on to. And I was pretty unconscious of it is, I mean, they are a terrible waste and at home, you never really use a straw. So why is it when you go to a restaurant, you suddenly need a straw with every drink? Like you can actually drink a drink without a straw. Step one. Um, step two is I just bought one of the bamboo ones. I was in Luang Prabang, Laos in January 2018, and I was amazed to see an active no straw campaign on menus and at restaurants around town. So here at home now, when I drink my smoothies, I plunk the uh, bamboo straw in it and I take them around. The paper straws you mentioned, those were very cool when I was in Bali. And uh, I'll give a shout out to the Miner Group. The Miner Group is based in Bangkok. They own Anantara Hotels, among other brands. And starting January 1st, 2018, they went straw-free in their properties. And they've got properties in like 20-plus countries. So this kind of anti-straw thing is, is, is catching, you know, popularity. And it all kind of starts, a lot of these things we talk about today start with people just letting management know. Like, hey, yeah. you should not do this. And slowly over time, if people hear it from enough people things change, right? I'm sure this straw thing probably started like five years plus years ago where people just started saying, and now you've got major hotel chains that aren't using them. Yeah. And I started making a Google map of restaurants and bars in Southeast Asia that are either straw free or straw friendly. So if anyone wants to email me about my straw map, uh, you can go ahead and do that or check the show notes and I'll have a link to it. How's that sound? That sounds terrific. I would love to use your straw map, but you know what? It takes a long time to break it. Because I forget and I'll be somewhere like a restaurant and they just bring it with the straw and you're like, oh, and so I've got to now actually part of these habits we'll talk about is training yourself to make it a habit to say no straw, right? Actively no straw, please. Yeah, it takes a while too. I mean, I still, that's the only piece of plastic that's actually like forced on you, you know, and uh, and it still happens occasionally. Along that line in Southeast Asia, especially places like Thailand, plastic bags, man, everywhere you go, any mini mart, they'll put everything in a plastic bag think twice about that can you carry it in your hands do you have a backpack carry a reusable bag and just throw stuff in it instead of taking plastic bags along the way too yeah absolutely bring your own bags yes so what's our next topic trevor um well i was going to segue to one of the points that i saw you had made by talking about supporting the local economy I'm talking about like plastic bags and whatnot. I still prefer to shop at mom and pop shops, you know, like they, they have seven 11s here. That's like the place where you're going to get most of your plastic bags and straws perhaps. Um, but try and avoid some of these like big multinational chains and, and try and uh, look for little mom and pop shops or little local restaurants or, or, or little community businesses and, and support those instead. Yeah, I agree. Like, I do love the convenience of the 7-Eleven or certain other stores. But if you need simple things, yeah, hit the mom and pop shop because those places are under more and more pressure from the big companies. So, yeah, that is a great one to throw in there, Trevor, is just like stop, have a look around. Is there like a family I can buy this from instead of the big store? That's a really, really good point, whether it's food, whether it's a quick water or even a beer. But uh, and they're often mom and pop shops can almost be a bit cheaper sometimes. 
Yeah, um, but I thought that was a good segue to your point because you wanted to talk about uh, people who visit uh, developing countries and they want to maybe do some sort of volunteerism or something like that, but they don't plan it out ahead of time. And then they want to go and visit like an orphanage or a school. Um, mm. and, and that's kind of, uh, it's turned into a business like that's not necessarily as beneficial to the communities as you would think they would be, yeah? Yeah, things change quickly. When I uh, used to be the co-owner in a, in a travel company, we did send people to orphanages and to do work at schools. And I think we did really great due diligence on it. But especially in the last, say, three, four years, it's sort of come out that like, do not go to schools, do not go to orphanages. And I think it's a pretty good blanket rule because, I mean, number one, you would never, like somebody from, let's say, Vietnam would never just drop into a school in America just for a look like, hey, what what's happening at the local school? Like, it's preposterous, right? Start handing out candy to kids and stuff, right? Yeah, exactly, right? And like sit down at a desk or start teaching a lesson. So I'm not sure why we think it's okay to do that when we're here. So in many ways, like as far as schools and hospitals and things, these organizations aren't equipped to deal with visitors, right? They're like completely stretched to the limits as it is. So to have a visitor turn up, it just like, a aside from being kind of inappropriate, it's just, it puts huge stress on the staff and the infrastructure. And then of course, things like orphanages in Cambodia actually are, are kind of businesses, right, Trevor? Yeah, that's what I was mentioning at the beginning, that they've almost turned into like kind of for-profit industries where they're exploiting kids in order to try and generate revenue from tourists mm. um, and and that's not necessarily the best way to go about doing it so again if people go to our show notes uh, talktravelasia.com uh, we could put some links in there to some organizations that can benefit um, children who are orphans or communities that are undeveloped um, in a kind of like more altruistic sense that's more beneficial to the community like there are opportunities to to get involved and do some type of volunteerism work but uh you know it's hard to sort through them especially for your average traveler yeah and two great organizations one of them is child safe which is just fantastic and and you know they have a great seven kind of steps or seven tips for travelers on their website we'll have the link in our show notes but they had a real big campaign like Children aren't tourist attractions, don't visit those kind of places. Yeah, and then Friends International, which started in Cambodia and now is in a a good number of countries in Southeast Asia. Their site has all kinds of great tips. It tells you where you can shop, I mean, how you can make a difference, places to visit. But we actually had a whole episode on that. We had James Sutherland, the Ashton Friends International on the show. We did, and we'll put a link to that episode. And I hate to, you know, bash travelers because I think most people are well-intentioned. But I've done this exact thing is often you're doing something to feel good about yourself if you're really honest and to get a photo with the kids or at the place like that photo is not worth it, right? (laughs) That it is absolutely not worth it. So places say like friends, like if you go to Phnom Penh, they have a nail bar where women can get their nails done by people that are in career training. Nice. I should do that tomorrow. They actually have a motorcycle repair shop as well, right? They make bags and other products. So they have restaurants. So there's, if you do a little research, you can be like, oh, I'll get a massage there or I'll get my nails done or I'll eat a meal here. And you're actually supporting people's career development. So a little research can go a long way and just research, you know, the country you're going to. If you really like the country that much to go, 20, 30 minutes researching good things to do, 
on low impact. Uh, I mean, it's worth it. You know what I saw today was there's a little mini kind of guidebook called Stay Another Day. Um, are you familiar mm. with that? Yeah, I just saw the Cambodia one, and there's one for Laos as well. There's probably one for Vietnam. So stayanotherday.com with dashes in between all the words. I think that's the, that's, the website. It's awesome. What is it? Oh, it's just a book of all different sort of social enterprises. Um, many of them are just shops or, you know, like uh, maybe a library, uh, like room to read uh, in, up in, in Long Prabang. And uh, I don't know. I, I just... I was like, wow, I hadn't seen this in a while. So I know that Stay Another Day has some really good ways that people can make a contribution to local communities while they're visiting without being intrusive. Yeah, the idea when this came out, I remember, was it started in Cambodia because people would sort of, and probably still do, they'll just look at Cambodia as like, oh, the temples of Angkor, they blast in for like two nights and they blast out. And the point is, like, reduce your carbon footprint, stay another day, like, do anything else. There's always more to see. Yeah. Give a little bit more time to a place and reduce your your carbon footprint by doing something. That kind of goes. That, that goes with our next uh, point coming up, which is flying. You know, if you're going to fly, you know, let's say from Phnom Penh to Siem Reap, um, and you're just going to be there for for two days, like you're. I mean, we fly a lot, we travel a lot, but uh, even though flying's the fastest and often the most cost-effective way to get between destinations, um, you know, if you're going to take the time to fly somewhere, you might as well well stay a bit. Like, you know, I used to fly up to Luang Prabang, but I would make that like a one-way flight, and then I would mm. end up taking a bus uh, south from there. Sometimes I like to think of the time for a flight, which seems quick, but Okay, drive to the airport, check in, go through security, wait for the flight. Like flying is never shorter really than hmm. about four hours. So often like if you can do it in a car and say the same time or one more hour, like you see something along the way and sometimes that can be less impactful and you have uh, better interaction with people and gain a, a better appreciation of the country too, right? Yeah, and then uh, I see you have some notes here. There's a link to uh, carbonfootprint.com for a calculator. Hmm. Um, you know, it, it is interesting to find out what your carbon footprint is. And it, this is an interesting idea. Like maybe you should do something to try and offset your travel carbon footprint before you go. You know, uh, I was involved in a, in a project recently that was doing the tree coins. It's a cryptocurrency blockchain project that's planting mangrove trees in Myanmar. And hmm. uh, by buying a bunch of mangrove trees, you're basically sponsoring those mangrove trees to offset your carbon footprint. You know, so for you know twenty dollars, you could buy twenty trees, and then that'll balance out the carbon that you spent uh, on your thousand dollar plane ticket. Yeah, I mean, I am not entirely sold on the carbon, you know, offset thing. I don't understand how it works well enough but they're out there and they're certainly gaining popularity um you know kind of shifting gears from flying to buses is there's a lot of dangerous bus companies in asia and it, it can be kind of tough to do but if you're going to be taking a lot of buses maybe research what are the good companies a just for safety and whatnot but then some of the better companies will use newer buses that don't burn as dirty and aren't as hard on the environment too so it's a small point but like if you can do just a tad of research maybe on who the big better bus companies are that's that's worthwhile yeah another thing uh is taxis and taxis are a bit better than buses maybe because now they're starting to modernize and taxis are starting to use hybrid vehicles i know that there's a 
in Bangkok, they have All Thai Taxi. And All Thai Taxi is a mobile app, I believe, that you can use to call a taxi. And they use uh, hybrid vehicles. Now, I've, I've never called one before, but I've jumped in them before. And it's kind of nice just to be in a, in a nice, clean car. But uh, having an electric vehicle in a big city like Bangkok makes a lot of sense. So, I, you know, when I'm back in Bangkok, I'll try to use it more often. Yeah, I've only used them once, and they have an app you can download, and again, we'll put that in our show notes, but I mean, they're reputable, they don't rip you off in a hybrid taxi, like that's... Uh, yeah, I heard the other thing was cool that they concept. never, they'll never say no to you. Yeah, which is common here, so that's a, that's a really good one, and sticking to transport, I mean, you know, simple one, walking, instead of taking like a taxi or a motorbike at times for short journeys, like walk, I mean, at a good pace, you can cover five kilometers an hour, um, so I mean, if you slow things down and kind of stroll, you can definitely cover three to four kilometers an hour, so maybe instead of taking a taxi those couple kilometers, I mean, just walk it and smile at people, hear the sounds, smell the smells, especially in Asia, mm-hmm. and uh yeah, save some gas. Uh, don't contribute to traffic. Yeah, it's certainly hot here in Asia, so you're going to want to dress appropriately and have some good footwear. But uh, I love walking. I, I, Phnom Penh is a great city to walk around. Um, I just enjoy it because it's a better way to see the sights. You know, like when you're in a cab, you're going to miss everything in between from A to Z or A to B. And uh, I, I find that it's the best way to discover things is by walking, in addition just to being more responsible. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a huge fan of that when I travel. I'll often just pick a place I want to see that's far away and just start walking there, right? It's really good. And then uh, while we're on the topic of foot power is like trekking. What what kind of things when we're hiking or trekking should we be cautious about, Trevor? Um, uh, poison ivy, poison oak. <laughs> I guess that would be like, you know, try not to, to touch too many things that you're, you're unfamiliar with. But, you know, probably walking on, uh, walking on the paths and not uh, going too far off the path. Just because, sure. uh, you know, there, besides poisonous plants, you know, maybe some different kind of animals. But you don't want to upset the, the natural environment too much more. I mean, we're going to talk about snorkeling here in a minute. That's another thing, obviously, you don't want to like touch coral or disturb turtles and whatnot. But I think when you're hiking, uh, you know, don't get lost too, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I love blazing new trails. And I know it's tempting when you're on a trail, you're like, oh, let's find a new way or something. But like, it really does cause a lot of disruption to environments. So stick to the path and even hire a guide. Like, I, I admit, I like hiking on my own. But if you're somewhere new, like, you're employing somebody by having a guide. Ultimately, you'll learn something more about the community. You won't get lost. And then one I like to say is like, don't give candy and presents to kids as you're walking around. I'm thinking in a poll specifically is like, seems innocent. But then what you do is you train kids to kind of be beggars. Like so that every time they see a foreigner, they're like, oh, we get candies. And then that's just not nice, right? So, you know, don't don't give candies to people. And for multi-day treks, if you can do a bit of research on the, the trekking business that you're going out with, like, hey, are they certified? Are they qualified? Do they know anything about responsible trekking? I know in Thailand, um, there's an organization, the PDA, that trains people. And then uh, there's PADA, the uh, big travel organization in the Asia Pacific, and, and, and they can probably recommend some too. But it's worth kind of doing a bit of research to make sure you're out with a group that is conscious, is isn't littering, isn't causing damage to communities and the environment. Yeah, you know, and that, that's totally true. I mean, you're a better subject on the trekking thing than I am. When you're talking about not giving candy to children in the forest, I'm thinking Hansel and Gretel. 
But, uh, <laughs> you know, in the ocean, that's kind of more my realm. Uh, you know, I mentioned when you're snorkeling, don't touch coral. Even some, like, dive masters sometimes, you know, they'll interact with turtles and whatnot. And it, just in general, I think you should leave the wildlife wild, you know, and, and they, they, shouldn't Absolutely. Be, they shouldn't be handled by people. But another note I wanted to make was just uh, when we were talking about over-tourism is sunblock. People don't really think about this much. And obviously, you don't want to get sunburned. But... You know, thousands and thousands of people every day going swimming in a certain place, let's say off of Koh Tao, you know, in the, the, the Koh Nang Yuan there. Um, thousands of people in the water, all with sunblock on, that sunblock washes off. All of that sunblock is, is damaging the, the marine environment. So, you know, if you know you're going to go snorkeling, get yourself one of those rash guards or, or buy some all-natural plant-based sunblock. Yeah, you can even wear a t-shirt, right? It might yeah. not look super cool, but yeah, do not wear sunblock in the water. That's a that's a real 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 bad one. And and you know what? I'm guilty of doing it. And then that kind of nicely segues into showering, bathing, mm-hmm. and uh, yes, swimming. You shower you know? with a t-shirt on. Shower with a t-shirt on. I I am a never nude. No, I'm kidding. But uh, <laughs> you know, you got to think about water. And in my former career, I inspected a lot of hotels. And I always found it ironic that inevitably when I'd be inspecting hotels, especially beach hotels, ones on islands where there's signs that like this island is short of water. And please, if you're going to use the towel again, hang it on the towel bar. All these concerns, you know, if you don't need your sheets changed every day, leave this sign. But then there's a huge bathtub in the bathroom. You're like, I mean... A, a nice bath is okay once in a while, but that's a hugely irresponsible thing to do. So, like, don't use the big bathtub. Yeah, or, you know, don't shower for a few days and save up that water to use it, maybe. Uh, <laughs> jokes aside, yeah, no, definitely, you know, re, you don't need your sheets washed every day necessarily, especially if you do take a quick shower or have your towels washed every day. The hotel that I'm staying in now, even if I hang my towel up, they're 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 washing it and I, I trying to get them to, to not, I don't really need it washed every day. I don't need a brand new towel every day. Um, but again, like we were saying with the, the length of your shower times, um, mm-hmm. you know, Siem Reap, which is, has an over tourism problem, or let's say like a PP Island in, in Thailand, um, you know, there's not a whole lot of water there and, uh, there, there's not great sewerage facilities for dealing with the wastewater. So, um, you know, be be conscious of the fact that uh, millions of tourism tourists a year are are taking long cold showers after a hot day. So uh, try and uh, keep your water consumption to a minimum if you can. Yeah, I've even written signs like little notes and left them on my bed, like "Don't change the sheets if a hotel doesn't have it." Like, I mean, I don't change my sheets every three days at home, even right. So, like, why do you have to do it when you're away? I agree. You often put your towels on the bar where they say to put them if you don't want them changed, and they do. I think it's worth like nicely mentioning it to a GM, like not in a way to get the maid in trouble, but say, "Hey, like I noticed you have this thing," so that they know people notice. I've even made the comments to GMs, and I know they just probably think I'm crazy, but I've said, like, hey, you know what? Like, the big bathtubs are hugely wasteful, and even plunge pools. Like, I've enjoyed some rooms with private plunge pools, but again, like, hey, you know what? Like, if this island's really short on water, like, you probably shouldn't have plunge pools. Just like the straws, I think slowly over time, those things can maybe have a bit of an impact. Yeah. So, 
last category is uh, is what, Trevor? I've accused well, it says here on my show notes, uh, animals. And we kind of touched on that a little bit earlier when you're saying, like, you know, don't grab the turtles while you're uh, snorkeling or scuba diving. Um, but yeah. uh, we have actually done an episode, uh, number 66, which was on animal tourism in Asia. And I think the point right. here that we meant is that there, there's many animal attractions here in Asia that are exploitive of those animals, uh, namely, let's say, elephants, right? There's a lot of elephant camps. There are some good ones, but there's uh, many elephant camps that are not good for the elephants. And by many tourists wanting to go and experience them, that leads to their exploitation. Yeah, it's it's a tricky one, right? Like, who doesn't want to see an orangutan up close, mm. or an elephant, or maybe even a snake, and so forth? But I mean, this is a, a really dodgy one because a lot of animals have been, you know, caught illegally. They've been mistreated. Again, were you meant to like hold a baby tiger in your arms? Like, that's not natural, right? So, yeah, we'll direct people back to episode sixty-six, animal tourism in Asia, and, and have a listen to that because, I mean everybody just kind of they all do want to help and they want to have a nice experience but often without knowing it you're doing a lot of damage so i think it's definitely definitely worth um you know having a bit of research on the organizations that you're maybe going to go have animal experiences with to make sure hey is this place legit do they know their stuff are they treating the animals well and so forth yeah and again uh show notes we'll have a link to that um i think you know this is such a topic close to my heart, not just the animals, but this whole traveling light and responsible thing that I think uh, I'll take a bit more time on these show notes. We do generally have pretty good show notes. We have maps and, and links to all sorts of information, but uh, you know, I think I'm going to put some, some really useful information on this one. Yeah, we've got a, a lot of good links in here. And so these are a good starting point before travel. And you know, I just like to think, and I've actually convinced myself to spend a bit more time researching by for I travel. If you're going to go to all the time and effort and spend all the money to travel somewhere, take 30 minutes and educate yourself, right? Like it could take more, but 30 minutes could really mean the difference from, from doing harm or uh, treading lightly wherever you go. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> well... I think we uh, I think we've covered this one, Trevor. I also love that when we were going through this, we're like, oh, we did an episode on animal tourism. Oh, we did an episode on, you know, Friends International. Like it's we we've covered some ground. So this kind of brings it around. And then I'm looking forward to in a few episodes, we're going to have one on over tourism, the whole issue mm -hmm. of like the impact that just we as humans and more of us traveling has too. Yeah, I think uh, these two issues are, are very tied closely together. And, and I feel like we should do a bit more on, on these types of topics just to help uh, educate our listeners so that when they come travel over here, they can uh, you know, at least make a neutral contribution. Um, yeah, good one. You know, I, again, they, they, they say leave only footprints and take only photos, right? Uh, you know, it's not that simple. So uh, it's good to know if thing, a few things or two before you come. Absolutely. Well, uh, Trevor, why don't you uh, take us out of this thing? Um, I, I think I did there, but uh, thanks for listening, <laughs> everyone. I'll take you out again. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode. I hope you enjoyed this one. Thanks for joining me, Scott. And uh, cue the outro track. Adios. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. 
Hey Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Anchor Tom and Kimberly? 